Hi everyone, my name is Violetta and this is Diversity Podcast, where we explore diversity and identity through stories and experiences of other people coming from various backgrounds. I'm really excited to introduce my today's guest. His name is Namiluko and he was born in Zambia. He's Lozi in Takaleya. At the age of 10, he moved to the UK. I invited him today because, through talking to Luko, I've realized that we all have something to learn from him. Well, at least me. As his relationships with his own identity is quite opposite to mine, and as he said, he had always strongly felt about his own identity, knowing who he is, and the history of his family. I think it's very beautiful, and we're going to try to explore it today. Hi Luko, thanks for joining me today. I'm really happy to see you. Hi, happy to be here. Thanks. So to start with, could you please tell us a little bit more about your bringing in Zambia and about your ethnic background? Um, so I was born and raised in Zambia for about the first 10 years of my life. And ethnically, my background is um, largely speaking uh, the Bantu people. And from those on my dad's side, I am Lozi. And then on my mom's side, I am Tonga and Tokalea, so it's like a subset in a subset. I was brought up in an area which is also a different ethnicity from those other ones, and that is uh, the Bemba people. So I speak a different ethnic language than either of my parents' original ethnicities themselves. Oh, okay. So basically where you were born and grown up, it's a bit different ethnicities live there rather than your mom's and dad's sides, right? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Was it difficult for you to learn the language of the area? Where oh, are you? No. Because oh, because you speak your parents' language, right? No. So I speak the one language of the area in which I was born and raised in, which is different from my parents' one. Oh, okay. But because my parents speak multiple languages from around Zambia, and everybody around me spoke the one language, Bemba. It was easy for me to learn that one because it's just what I grew up with. Oh, wow, that's amazing. So how many languages your parents speak? Uh, between them, probably 10 to 12. I actually need to double check, but I know they spoke each other's languages and a few more. They spoke the four or five major languages in Zambia, which would be Lozi, Tonga, Bemba, and Nyanja. Oh, wow. Okay. Is the Lozi and Bemba languages are different? Um, because they're all Bantu, they're quite similar, and there's a lot of linguistic similarities between them, but they're different enough that if you hear one, for example, if I hear Nyanja being a mostly Bemba speaker, I can infer some stuff, but I can't really speak it. It's sort of like hearing um, someone who speaks a Slavic language would hear something, and they might understand a bit of it if they speak Russian, but they might not get something if it's like in Lithuanian. Oh, okay. Yeah, definitely. I can, I understand. Yes. Mm -hmm. Well, 12, 10 languages is a, uh, is a lot. (laughs) Okay. So, um, since you already started, my question is, um, coming from Zambia as well. Could you tell us a little bit more about Zambia? You already started demographics of it, uh, languages you mentioned, languages spoken, and maybe like a little bit of latest history just for listeners. Okay. Um, in terms of the ethnic, the ethnic uh, makeup of the country, there's some 70 plus dialects and languages within that country. And that can be determined in different ways in terms of eth- ethnic makeup. But I just know the language and dialects is about 70 plus 
and um you said 70 70 70 yeah okay yeah that's nice it's, it's quite big range of different kind of makeups because for example on my mom's side is tonga but there's subsets within that so the specific subset of my mom's side is tokalair so they can speak to someone who speaks tonga and understand each other but it can be very specific to certain parts and ways and how they do certain things linguistically and culturally as well so it's like a subset in a subset and wow. it's it's also specific to the area that you're born as well mm-hmm. just because that's just how it sort of evolved from that kind of general area okay uh yeah i'm just trying to comprehend it 70 i'm just thinking the population what is the population because i know zambia is not very big country it's relatively big for africa yeah yeah but yeah. it's not billion people and i'm thinking 70 <laughs> i'm just still yeah. trying to like absorb <laughs> the last time few millions was around few. 20-ish million 20 yeah oh, but it, it, it is it is a lot but it's because the landmass itself is quite large mm-hmm. it's quite there's areas which are quite sparse you can be going through an area and there's like literally nobody who lives there So it's just like a big wildlife reserve of animals and maybe mm. there's a few people who live there as sort of isolated villagers but it's quite yeah there's a lot of space and mm-hmm. a natural area and sort of reserves which is just full of nature. Yeah. And uh I was reading about Namibia and I know that Namibia and Mongolia are within the countries which are least populated. So oh, yeah. I guess Zambia is more populated than Namibia, right? Oh yeah, for sure. I think because I think maybe as um a large part of it is, is desert. Yeah. And it gets really hot there. So yeah, that makes absolute sense. And Zambia yeah. more like safari. Uh yeah, so it's more um what's the word? It's more uh savanna. So like it's mm. semi-arid. So it can get quite dry, but there's a lot of rainfall as well in certain seasons in certain areas, especially towards the highlands. So there's places where people congregate where there's obviously the Zambezi River it's a uh, one of the big rivers in the world and people would congregate along that and that's where they settle down whereas the areas which are very dry and arid have way less people if you go maybe to the northern province that has very sparse areas which is just again mostly nature and there's massive nature reserves of swamp and arid semi-arid and savanna mixed together in this massive area of like terms of like square kilometers oh wow it sounds so beautiful i'm just picturing it in my head and thinking mm-hmm. when i'm gonna buy tickets to zambia yeah. <laughs> uh so yeah do you remember a lot from growing up up until age 10 i remember a lot of parts yeah for sure. okay um, then i i'm i'm able to ask next question then absolutely. <laughs> so i can guess growing up in zambia uh is quite a different experience from living in the uk mm-hmm. how do you think your early years growing up of your bringing uh, in Africa, in Zambia particularly, and traveling within few countries? Because you mentioned that you travel as a kid. How do you think this influenced you? I think the biggest influence is the fact that it made me more comfortable and more aware of different cultures and different ways of living. On, the, on like a global scale, um, the areas around South Africa, around Zambia, are similar enough that it doesn't feel as like culturally shocking but obviously when you're young something that is still quite foreign is quite different to what you known uh when you were younger especially different languages as well and different ways of being one example is i remember i would visit my mom would travel to namibia and then there there was a tribe uh of people who speak a language called um Dirikwi. and one of their customs is when they enter the house um the elder people 
would come and kiss you on the mouth. And I found that so weird as a kid, but they did that to me. And at first it was quite uncomfortable, but I just realized this is what they did. In hindsight, it maybe is still quite an odd thing, but it's just everybody did it. So you have this period of people coming through the house and all of them would basically kiss you on the mouth. And it was quite, it's quite a jarring thing at first, but this is what they did. And so I kind of had to like, you know, adapt a little bit. So it was regardless of whether you're a child or adult, yeah. Yeah. It's like a high, like some people hug or some people kiss on the cheek, something like this. Basically, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I hug people, for example, but for some people it's not appropriate, you know, like I I think just the person I am. And then like late in life, I learned that uh, it's not okay to hug everyone. <laughs> yeah, things like people this, have you know? personal boundaries which can be yeah, yeah, yeah. maladaptive. So yeah. like how if you meet a French person, they go left to right on the cheeks. Yeah, Like, yeah, yeah that kind of thing. It's like yeah. a cultural thing, which, yeah. Okay. That's actually very beautiful, I think, uh, to to have this experience as a child, um, which makes you more aware. And uh, do you think it also influenced your further in life or it's just something you remember from your childhood or you passed it on for, for your like further development? Like when you become more mature adult, do you think this is what you experience as a child traveling and seeing different people from different ethnicities and tribes made you more aware of the diversity of society in general? Or this is something you learned, like, through growing up? I think part of it is certainly would influence me, because I didn't think too much about it as a kid. But obviously, when you grow up and you start to reflect back on your time, you realize that you've been through these things, which could be quite culturally jarring, give you some kind of form of culture shock, but you realize you've kind of been through these kind of scenarios and ways of being, especially when I, like, moved from being in Zambia and a generally pretty homogenous country, you know, it was mostly full of Zambians of the Bantu ethnicity as a larger group to come into the UK and being for the first time like an actual minority, I still didn't feel that like, uh, I guess, culturally shocked because I still had something to root myself in. Mm-hmm. Like, I just, I was, I was aware of what I was and where I came from. Mm-hmm. So that was like, I think a part of my upbringing and part of my identity being so rooted in my experiences and being around different people. I was still like, I'm still this, I'm still Aussie, I'm still Zambian, but I can also be part of this other culture, you know? Yeah, you actually almost answered my next question mm-hmm. uh, since I was going to ask you whether seeing people from different communities influenced um, uh, the sense of your identity. Because I remember we talked last time And uh, we were talking about my identity, just generally my interest in this topic and your identity. And uh, you said something which really uh, was, I still remember that you said that you always felt strongly about who you are, but wherever you go. And um, yeah, well, you you pretty much answered the question. So basically when you moved here, did it, um, you didn't feel any sort of, okay, this is totally different life. Did it feel differently for you living here? As you mentioned, you minority, but you still felt very rooted into who you are. I mean, for sure, you certainly feel different. There was an adjustment period. It would be weird if there wasn't, because before coming here, there's a lot of aspects of what it means to be, uh, I guess, in a country like the sort of the UK, where there's so many more different cultural backgrounds or I mean in Zambia for sure there are ethnicities but everybody still would see themselves as 
being largely Zambian or even though they're not aware of it, largely a Bantu kind of um, like majority, ethnic, yeah. precisely. Whereas here, there's so much more of a mixture. And I would say I wasn't fully aware, at least when I was a, when I was a kid before coming to the UK, that I was not only just like uh, Lozi or whatever, but I was also specifically like a black person. Whereas in Zambia, I was just like a person, you know, because everyone uh, else around me was just the same, you okay. know. So you become, yeah, of course, you become much more aware of like, not only like your ethnicity, but also like your race. That mm-hmm. became a big factor of who you are. So growing up, my parents uh, would have a lot of different ethnic and different cultural people from around Africa. But because they were all black, we tend to congregate together in a lot more different ways. So I grew up a lot of, around a lot of um, Ghanaians and Jamaicans. So even though I wasn't from those places, they influenced me a bit just because they had a commonality of being like largely diaspora black people. And that mm-hmm. was another aspect of learning to be in like, I guess, a totally foreign country. Yeah, yeah I understand. This is actually a very interesting thought because I felt, I feel pretty much the same the way I grew up home in the Republic of Kalmykia, surrounded by Asian people. And then after when I moved back, moved back. When I moved to Moscow mm-hmm. for uni, I was surrounded not by all Asian people all of a sudden, you know? And I think this is when I probably start questioning. And uh, it's very interesting how you said that you were just a person um, in Africa, in Zambia, and then you said, suddenly, I'm a black person. Did you feel like people refer like this to you or, or what? Oh, no, for it? sure. Like, you definitely become much more aware of it, especially because the majority of people are distinctly so different looking from you as well you know like just something as simple as like um going to like get my hair cut that was a new experience for me because it was just like a barbershop was a it became like a cultural like specific thing i don't know if you've seen american movies where like the barbershop is like a big deal in black communities yeah i see they they show like people chill there and spend time and i got to understand because in zambia that that, that's not a thing it's just a (laughs) barbershop but like in the uk they sort of have this adaptiveness similar to american uh black culture where the barbershop is like where a lot of the black community congregates together so like i would go there and if it was like a black owned barbershop it was like this different energy and a different feeling as opposed to going like a predominantly white barber and they'll be like oh i don't know how to cut your hair and it was like a whole different way of just like something as simple as like every task became like a different experience just because of the culture aspect of me being black and the and the barber being a different race to me mm-hmm. like i've never thought about it yeah yeah it can be an interesting thing to think about because i until this moment i didn't think about it that much as well but like i'm realizing now like certain aspects influence how you view things which are very mundane mm-hmm. you know and then become a much more relevant thing i guess without having to really think about it too much yeah, yeah that's 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 interesting to think about it because uh uh yeah i've never thought about this in this way um okay uh, so moving forward i know that you from what we talked we didn't talk much but i know that Traveling, uh, as we mentioned, traveling from an early age, but after you finished school and went to uni, traveling has become a really big part of your life. I think 
well, that's an assumption. Yeah, I mean, not, a, not a good thing to make an assumption, but I know that. <laughs> yeah, I know that from both of what we talked about. Uh, for me, travel traveling meant a lot since I was a student, and still means a lot. But I think I'm just trying to understand it better. Uh, what value travel has to you? How do you think? Because for me, it has value of being connected to people mm-hmm. and uh, like being able to maybe even explore myself through exploring the world. And uh, uh, but now I'm trying to find other ways to do this. But it's still something very important to me. Uh-huh. You know. So what value does it have for you? I think in a lot of ways, I agree with like it. Like has a good way to connect because you you can reflect on who you are by experiencing and seeing it different ways that other people live and uh, and the ways they sort of interpret their own lives as a sort of reflection of your own. But then also, I also just really enjoy having new novel experiences in different scenarios because there's, I guess, an opportunity to learn and to grow from there. So even something, again, as, like, as mundane as just going to like the shop depending on the country or the place you're in could be so different like if i went to go to the shop you know in like rotation marks in zambia it's much more community driven there's like a market which is like locally owned by people in the neighborhood you go there every day you talk to them you may even owe them money for like i don't know a few weeks past it's like oh i'll pay you back some other time whereas here like i don't think that would ever really happen borrowing money yeah <laughs> yeah yeah just like hey i'm gonna pay back at some other time maybe <laughs> If like it's a more locally owned community shop, but everything is becoming much more um, capitalistic. Precisely, yeah. And I had sort of a similar experience. Like, if I was let's say traveling in like uh, places like Bolivia, it seems much more community driven in how people live and how they sort of um, participate in their life. Mm-hmm. So people would be in the street just sitting and talking to each other um, and just interacting in a much more open and free way without this sort of like overbearing um maybe i wouldn't say exactly capitalist way but like it's less money driven and more community driven it's much much more about taking care of each other that's sort of like collectivist style of being mm-hmm. you know than, yeah well yeah an individualness yeah 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 i understand yeah i, I don't think i we gave any con- any context about i've just jumped to travel topics so uh, Namiluku traveled to many, many places, uh, including South America. He lived in New Zealand for three years. I think you traveled in Southeast Asia, right? For a little while, yeah. And uh, obviously you traveled in Africa. By the way, which countries in Africa you traveled apart from Zambia and Namibia? Um, so mostly Southern Africa. So um, yeah, I've been to uh, Zambia, Namibia, some parts of Botswana, uh, Zimbabwe. Uh, I guess technically Angola, but I don't count that one just because I was like over the border in and out, in and out, in and out. Mm-hmm. And um, I do, I would love to go visit South Africa properly without just being in and out again for like an hour, mostly at the airport. So I, it's that's another place I'd like to visit more besides just that literary region because obviously it's a massive continent, very diverse too. Obviously, yeah. Yeah. And it's bigger than it's on the map, right? True, yeah. Uh, the map scaling is wild. Yeah, <laughs> maps, maps are interesting. Uh, maps are drawn by men as well. Uh, <laughs> actually, I have another question just appeared in my head. Mm-hmm. Do you feel 
since you uh, now I know you you traveled back home a few years ago, right? Or oh, like last year. Yeah. Do you feel different now every time you come back? Do you feel different or you feel the same? Do you feel like, oh, this is uh, when I was a child, this 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 village, oh, I don't know, this this place looked like it felt like this, but now I'm I'm looking different. Do you feel like with maturing you changed your perspective on things like home related, like your family or places you've grown up? Oh, yeah, I think part of being, um, I guess, largely speaking, like a, I use the term like a like a diaspora kid, like mm-hmm. it it makes you at least for me appreciate certain aspects of what my life and my community was back uh, back there. Like you tend to reflect and say, oh, that actually this thing that I didn't maybe appreciate as much as a child is much more. I guess valuable to me now because maybe I don't have it as much or I don't get to experience it as much. If it's something as simple as um uh I guess we when I was a kid used to gather around just like as a family, you know, me, some immediate family, greater um wider family of cousins, um aunts, maybe even like a grandparent or two here and there, sit around like a little kind of Bunsen burner style fire and just tell each other stories. Mm-hmm. Because, around the fire yeah, yeah, yeah oh that's so sweet like in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a very old school way yeah because like if I reflect on it back I think about it this is something that at least my family and my ancestors would have been doing for like hundreds of years oh yeah definitely yeah and now it's sort of the more the the country develops and gets changed the more it's going to disappear because you know you just instead of being you sit around the TV you know yeah and that just exactly. tends to disappear oh, and, that's, and that's a lot of ways you share a culture of stories as well I heard yeah. so many stories which would be passed down it was entirely oral because there's no written language oh really you, your yeah. parents would tell you oral stories yeah so oh. I remember so many stories about like um Uh, Kalulu, which is like the rabbit, is like a trickster and he plays an important role in a lot of Zambian folklore and um, it's a very recurring character. So Kalulu is a character? Yes, yeah. it just means rabbit. Ah, in 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 which language? Uh, I guess Bemba, but uh, the word is, I think, pretty synonymous in other languages too, because it's so mm-hmm. Bantu, you know? So okay. like it, it's like it's the same character that people have been passing down for hundreds if not thousands of years, you know? And wow. that's like a connecting thread because it's entirely oral. It's not written down at all that's until crazy. maybe now. So like that's something that might be lost if you don't have these kind of things just because technology would make it, there's no need, you to know. To sit around the fire, yeah. Yeah, because you just sit in a house now yeah. and you just, you watch TV. But would they, uh, do you think people still do it? Like sit- In some areas, for sure, yeah. Yeah, not in so much. In more rural areas, you think? Exactly. Not so much my family because, uh, yeah, they have electricity and TVs now. Are there many... Because uh, I'm not really uh, educated on Zambia, are there many areas which are um, where people live more, let's say, semi-nomadic lifestyle? Uh, um, if they do, or it's more like, or it's super modernized, not super yeah. modernized. <laughs> It is an aspect. Actually, well, that's a, that's a pretty good question. Because uh, relating back to my heritage, mm-hmm. um, on my dad's side, it's the Lozi people. And the Lozi people have this tradition, which is called uh, the Kwamboka ceremony. So every uh, rainy season, let's see what it's called, it rains a lot. And so what they do is the um, the chief of the tribe, like he's the main leader, you know, it's like a sort of a heritage thing, almost like a king. He would take the tribal people and the entire sort of group 
as the Rotsi, Lozi people, and would travel from the lowlands, which would be flooded with uh, the rain and the valleys, and go to the highlands. And that's where it would stay until the, 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 the waters would come down again. And so the land becomes really fertile. So they come down to the valley and plow it and then do that on rotation. So it's like a natural um, way of just getting the land to be more fertile. And so every April, this thing still takes place to this day. So if you were to go there right now, you could experience the ceremony and see hundreds of thousands of Lozi people from all over the world coming down to take hundreds part in this ceremony. Hundreds of thousands? Yeah, because it's, 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 a, it's a pretty big um, ethnic and tribal group. Yeah, and mm-hmm. it's, it spans not only Zambia, but parts of Angola, parts of Namibia too. And all these people are still connected to that culture and that heritage. So it's like, it's intentionally semi-nomadic. So they, they, they'll, they'll shift the residence of the king from like the lowlands to the highlands and they go back and forth every single year. So okay. in in some aspect, it's still quite semi-nomadic. Well, that's really amazing and beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, not just one tribe, like many, many different tribes would do that, yeah? Yeah, um, but like, because obviously uh, it was a kingdom, so everybody's sort of like beholden to the one. So it's like semi, and semi-tribal aspects and semi-subsets like subsets of this tribe would come together to do this to, I guess, honor the the ceremony itself mm-hmm. and like the one the one king are children involved as well oh yeah of course yeah. do you yeah. remember doing it actually i've never done it oh yeah wow. yeah it's kind of maybe you were too little no yeah but also partly because um i didn't live in the area oh yeah because okay. i lived in a different area oh it's attached to the area yeah yeah, yeah, yeah precisely yeah because that area is part of the zambezi river and that that floodplain um gets flooded up but yeah i do actually want to go and go do that at some point because wow. i feel like it's a good cultural experience for me yeah well if they still do it that's amazing but Mm -hmm. obviously yeah i can't i can't imagine it i'm just you're talking about these beautiful things and i'm just sitting here and visualizing (laughs) everything and i'm like listening my own story in my head with with different colors that's amazing um so since we mentioned traveling a little bit i would really want to Talk about your experience living in New Zealand, because this is something like very new to me and I don't know any people from New Zealand. I only have tattoo of Maori <laughs> culture, <laughs> never been there, but I would really, really love to go there and um, to just experience life and meet people. But I know you live there, I think for three years, Yeah. partly roughly. because of COVID, right? Yeah, um, I almost missed because of COVID. I yeah. guess I just decided to stay there because I figured, you know, it Why probably not? was a yeah, yeah. It's a good option you know, yeah. instead of coming back to the UK. So how was, um, what was unique about uh, your New Zealand experience? I know that there was something about people and connecting to people. Mm-hmm. So would you tell us a little bit more about that? Um, yeah, I found, uh, for starters, New Zealand is in a lot of ways very similar to the UK. Um, it's, it's, it's like, it's like, it's like an Anglo nation. Um, almost everybody there speaks English. A lot of them are descendants of, um, British colonies. A lot of people who are there still identify in some aspects to their sort of, their, their, their heritage and ancestors there. I know, um, one woman I lived with, she, uh, knew her clan from Scotland. She still had the coat of arms. She would come back every now and then to visit, um, her people, um, the clan, um, but then also a lot of them are integrated in how um, the Maori people there are sort of very prominent and very um, evident 
because they are like the original mm -hmm. settlers of that place. So I got to meet and experience some of their culture and it is like truly beautiful. I, I, I love learning about their history and how they've sort of themselves, um, I think more than most other colonized places, sort of as made their own identity more prominent in the country. Maintain the identity. Yeah, in a sort of, in a lot of ways, like a lot of signs, a lot of places are still called some of the original, I guess, Maori names. Mm -hmm. But of course, Maori itself is like a sort of uh, general term, because I think originally Maori is just one specific group, whereas they're also themselves rather separate before they got um, sort of colonized by the British. So a lot of them especially would still strive for autonomy. There's certain areas in which only um, Maori would like reside in and no outsiders whatsoever because oh, really? it's still their land according to a lot of treaties and according to their sort of heritage and their past as well. But a lot of them who I met were very friendly, very welcoming and they're always happy to share their culture as well, which yeah. is I think quite beautiful and quite inspiring as well. It's like yeah. really nice to see that, you know. It's amazing. What is the percentage of population that Maori? Ooh, is good, it predominantly? Good question. I don't I wouldn't say it's Because it's very mixed as well, yeah? Yeah, it is it is very mixed. So you you find a lot of um, New Zealanders who are partly like either French or like some kind of English or Scottish with also a lot of Maori as well. So you 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 could find I guess in a very general term um, different races in the same family who was to identify as Maori because it's a much more cultural experience there mm. so you have like super pale people and super dark people who are all still Maori just because they identify so strongly with their culture and I think it's very good that they do that though it's a it's a it's for a lot of them like a really big way of life and there's still like these sort of almost like um, time capsules things where you can go to a certain area and the people that try to live in as traditional as way as possible as their ancestors from like hundreds of years ago oh really yeah no electricity a lot uh, of electricity maybe <laughs> it depends on how deeply they want to go into that yeah, yeah yeah but yeah there's some really beautiful um places like that i didn't get the chance to do that too often I'd maybe pass through air and see, oh, this is like really cool, but they're always really welcoming either way, you know? Mm -hmm. If you just want to learn about it and you're respectful, they're always happy to like help and nice. teach you. you I know? was actually going to ask whether they still live um, the way of life their ancestors used to live. Mm. Some uh, of them still do, for sure. Some of them, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. But that can be uh, a conflict between um, their perceived rights and what the government and the local authorities might say they can and can't do. I think there's, if I remember correctly, there is a certain amount of um, Maori representation that there has to be in their parliament. Some people have a, a contention with that, but I still think it's probably needed just because they need to have a voice constantly speaking for their interests as well. Mm -hmm. But that itself can be a quite contentious thing just because some people think it should be entirely, you know, democratic as in you're elected you do this and you represent everybody not just one special interest group and so you have this constant conflict of like people saying this is this treaty and this is this land you should honor this and people saying this is everybody's country we're all here now we might as well make it the best and so it's it's a very interesting way in how their way of being conflicts in a lot of ways with what a lot of the general country as a 
population and people might want to seek and do for the future. Mm-hmm. Why do you think um, they were able to maintain their identity so maybe stronger than some other countries? You know, there are many countries which have mm-hmm. history of colonization and oppression. Um, do you have any thoughts or ideas on that? It just... Yeah. Just, I think just they're just, I think they're just a very strong and resilient people. I mean, a lot of them who I met were very strong-willed. I, I know it's very anecdotal, but I just felt like they have a very amazing a spirit. Um, they have this concept of like mana. It's sort of like a life force and an energy. And it also ties into um, honor. A lot of other aspects of what it means to be part of not only... Um, the community but also like the land itself it's so interconnected and oh, so, so part of the land mm-hmm. oh okay go on so yeah yeah but they, they they really love at least in traditional sense love to honor everything about where they are and i think that might be part of why they're so resilient and why they've been so successful maybe in integrating a lot more than maybe places like canada would like with their first nations people over there you know It's very similar history, I think, but just a lot more willing, maybe, to contend with a lot of the aspects that might be unfavorable to them in terms of, like, the treaties and the colonization efforts. But it's also, I think, it's just a very open culture, too. I think it's a lot more inviting and a lot more welcoming to outsiders. I felt, at least especially me, very welcomed by a lot of the Maori people who I met there. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are still amazing people and yeah no I, i i really do respect and appreciate everything that i learned and uh, experienced with them okay i love this i love this concept um the mana mm-hmm. is there any other concepts you could share just a few minutes uh, of their culture or like traditions or something like that i don't think i'm ever gonna meet maori person here will i i might do <laughs> there might be there might be a few in manchester i wouldn't be surprised actually um but google yeah <laughs> One thing I uh, was, I met this um, guy just on a boat traveling on the ferry. We got to talking and then he taught me about, I don't want to butcher the word, but I think he said like uh, a hungi. Mm-hmm. So what you do is um, when you first meet, at least traditionally in a lot of like uh, sort of Maori um, culture, you would press your forehead and your nose to each other as a way to connect oh, I love and, to that. Show, and to show like trust and respect forehead and nose yeah yeah, uh, yeah okay so he was maori as well yes yeah yeah, yeah. but interesting he was not only maori he was also was a descendant of um one of the captains of uh i guess uh, a colony ship so like he was both you know like and that's quite prominent and quite uh, often in new zealand you find people who are in a lot of ways um polynesian and indigenous Maori from that area but then also they have like a European side so you have people who are like very traditional in the sense that they appreciate and respect their culture and where they come from from like a sort of uh, indigenous side but then also they have a last name like McPearson like it sounds so Irish but then you mm-hmm. meet them and they still feel like in some ways indigenous and or like very traditional in some aspects So it's like mm-hmm. it's 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 quite a it's quite a mixed culture and identity, but I think they do a decent job of balancing it out mm-hmm. in them. 
Yeah. Okay. That sounds really amazing because when I was reading, I've never met Maori people, but when I was reading, I was 18 when I did my tattoo, you know, and uh, like, yeah, very young girl. But when I was reading, I was just, I was just choosing the pattern. And then I saw the tattoo because the tattoo is a part of a culture in, in Maori people. Yeah. Yeah. It's and I was, thing. yeah. When I started reading about the culture and then this tattoo thing that, uh, you know, there are some milestones in life and they would make a tattoo on the face or whatever. I don't want to misrepresent because I don't know exactly, but I know that at some age they would do a tattoo or the ceremony and things like that. Mm-hmm. And generally when I was reading, oh my God, I was reading about that 10 years ago. And I was so impressed, you know, um, about the culture, but I've never got to meet anyone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I guess it's pretty far to travel <laughs> to Europe. It is, <laughs> it is a pretty far place to travel yeah. to, yeah. But speaking about the tattoo aspect, I think a lot of them are very, not only personal, but very um, attached to their family as well. So you have a... I don't want to misrepresent it too much, but I think what I know of it is that uh, it's attached to not only like their family, but also to the place of where it is. Oh, right. To the land. yeah, To the land itself. Yeah. Because it is an important aspect of the way that they are, not only as a person, but as like a a group of people. Because again, they're very uh, subsets of like different communities who identify strongly with their community, not just as a general Maori people, which is, I think, a more modern concept because mm-hmm. back in the day they saw, they saw themselves as separate to each other you know there was mm-hmm. a lot of conflict between the different Maori tribes and groups oh really yeah why oh well everyone had a conflict <laughs> precisely precisely <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah okay and now it's not is they more united you want to say yeah in some yes. ways but you also have um, a lot of um, groups iwis who fight maybe uh, for certain areas in some ways, legally speaking, of course, they're trying to. Did you say iwis? Iwi, yeah. I think it's like a again, representative, but I remember it's like a, it's like a larger cultural group and community. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sort of like a tribe in a mm-hmm. way. Yeah, yeah. Nice, interesting. Yeah. And I think in that aspect, I relate to it a lot with how I think of like um, ethnicities in Zambia itself, because mm-hmm. by and large, before colonization, these different tribal groups were separate to each other. They didn't see each other as the same. Mm-hmm. Whereas after this, now everybody... They had to unite, sort of, yeah? In some ways, yeah. Mm-hmm. It's not everybody's just Zambian. But if you go back 100, 200 years ago, there was, you know, maybe in my example, there was the Lozi and the Tonga people, which are next to each other, but they're in opposition. But now, because of colonization, my parents could meet. And then, you know, they, they, they had me. Whereas mm-hmm. in the past, it probably would have been very hard because there were... Two the, different the rival mix, kingdoms. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, oh, they were rivalry. Yeah, I mean, the whole area was very contentious, you know, like everybody wanted territory and <laughs> yeah, land. Yeah, yeah. Many, 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 many conflicts in the, in the world. True. Yeah, okay. I'm really inspired now by the Maori conception. I think they have, from what you said and from what I read, it feels like the, the energy of being connected is very, like, present, you know, and strong there, which mm-hmm. I think many cultures maybe. I mean, I just wish it more for myself and like knowing, knowing better my own history, I guess. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it feels it feels amazing. So to maybe finish in a way, I wanted also to mention the diversity of opinions. It's all connected to all our questions, I think. When we last talked, you mentioned diversity of opinions and um, that you sometimes miss it in your life. Mm-hmm. And... Um, why do you think it's important to have a diversity of opinions and what does it mean to you? 
Yeah, I think by and large, I think a lot of ways in which we think of a diversity, I think I told you this last time, was um, we tend to think of it as, you know, people from different ethnicities and different backgrounds together automatically is going to give you different opinions, but that's not necessarily the case. I just like having a different range of uh, expressions because I think it makes me understand a lot of the way in which I think and how I view the world. And I think it's important because you tend to maybe get locked in your own sort of echo chamber. And I think that's why a lot of traveling is helpful in that regard too, because you have to interact with people who are different to you when you're out in a place which isn't home or which isn't too familiar, because it forces you to sort of relate in different ways to different styles and ways of being. And I think Manchester being a really multicultural city is a good thing for the most part, but also the more you get communities closer together, the more they start to kind of condense and become like an average. Mm. And I'd still like there to be a difference just because it makes life really interesting, you know? Yeah. How do you bring diversity of opinions to your life? Oh, that is a hard question. For the most part, I like to have different, um, I guess, people interact with different friend groups, different scenarios, different hobbies, which are a little bit divorced from each other just because that's when you get different opinions. Because I think there's nothing worse than feeling like everybody around me is the exact same. Because that just means I'm not having any growth in my perceptions of my ideas. And that is why I start to feel stagnant. And maybe that's why I like to travel so much too. When I feel like I'm in a place for a long time and I start to have the sameness, I need to break that pattern and say, I want to do something else entirely and I'm going to go to some other side of the world or something and experience that because I know it's going to be different. Yeah, it makes you evolve in a way, right? I think like from my experience, you some experiences, even if they're challenging, uh, traveling, not traveling, they just push you to like come out of that little shell you have, you know? Um, actually, <laughs> I want to ask one more last question. Uh-huh. As you mentioned, Manchester, because I'm sort of new here, do you think there is any sort of community feeling within the UK from your experience living here something like in Bolivia obviously it's not Bolivia <laughs> but <Okay>. um, <laughs> do you think some communities here because it is super diverse uh, thanks to history or not thanks to history uh, it is a super diverse place the UK like mm-hmm. it's not a secret the different flavors and um, shades and everything of people Do you think there are some communities, some groups of people, ethnicities, whatever you want to call it, they still maintain this community feeling from your own experience from living here? I think for sure there's a lot of insular communities which maintain their own traditions as well. But um, in terms of like the larger, greater feeling of community in Manchester, I don't know if it's there. I think it exists in certain aspects, maybe in certain maybe activities, certain community groups of mm, like... But not ethnicity-wise. Ethnicity-wise, I think insularly. Like, if you go to a place with a lot of, let's say, um, Pakistani immigrants, mm-hmm. it feels like that's like a very close, tight-knit community. Just like if I'm around um, a group of um, Caribbeans, they are mm-hmm. very insular in that sense. Like, I can go to these people and I can experience an aspect of their culture which I couldn't experience if I wasn't with them. Mm-hmm. But I don't see a lot of ter- mixing between these different cultures too much. Mm-hmm. But then maybe it's because I don't see it doesn't mean it's not there. 
I just mm-hmm. don't experience it too much Okay, myself. well, I'm yeah. asking about your experience, so yeah, that, yeah. that was matters. Yeah. And then my experience is that like, a lot of these communities, they exist for sure. And I think if you want to find them, they're, they're out there. And most of them are pretty welcoming. If you go mm-hmm. to Chinatown, you can experience a lot of, I guess, Chinese culture. <laughs> yeah, well, in, it makes sense. In, in like an aspect of But course, it's bit. not the way it is like in Bolivia, right? I mean, like, I, my question, maybe yeah. I didn't ask precisely. I wanted to ask if you ever experienced this sort of attitude here in the UK. Of, like, a community-driven yeah, thing? Yeah, yeah, Like, you know, like, I'm not saying, like, oh, someone come and give you 50 pounds for free. <laughs> I'm saying, like... I mean, yes, please. <laughs> just, um, I guess it's very... I guess um, it is not very collectivist. Collectivist, society. yeah. It's quite individualistic, right? Yeah, I think there's a definitely a good medium point because I think people should definitely be individuals, but they should be, they should be still be concerned about how they as an individual can help their greater community. I think that's something that I think almost everybody could do more. And I I see aspects of it in Manchester for sure, but I don't know if it's a wide enough thing that it's very common. And also, I think a, a thing I would say is like my perception of it was that it was a thing in Bolivia, but I didn't live there so i can't yeah, say for sure obviously yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah it's still an outsider perspective exactly right? yeah and i think people treat you differently if you're on holiday or on vacation obviously, or something obviously. you don't quite get to that aspect I yeah because i got to that was when i was in new zealand and i spent a lot of time there and that's mm-hmm. why i feel a lot more comfortable saying that maybe in that aspect in mm-hmm. some ways that was a lot more community driven in areas i was in yeah you didn't spend just a week there yeah three years is is It's a decent, you it's can, a, it's a I decent can ask you a question. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay, great. Uh, yeah, let's wrap up, I think. Um, I was very happy. I am very happy to talk to you. I was very glad to have this conversation. And um, I hope to see you soon and maybe do another one. <laughs> Thank you very much for being here. Yeah, thank you, it's a lot of fun. Okay, bye-bye, everyone. Bye. <laughs>